right, everybody, welcome to Thursday Night Challenge. Welcome. You guys are almost at the end of the semester, so congratulations. Congratulations to all you guys for being here. Um, tonight, we have a really special treat for all you guys. We're going to be hearing from the seniors who we love so much, but we're also going to miss so much um, at Challenge. These are seniors who, for the last four years, have experienced the ups of college life, the downs, the pressures, the sacrifices, and faithfully, for these past few years, walked with Jesus Christ through it all. So we're going to be hearing for some, from some wisdom from above. So I encourage all you guys to, to learn, soak it all in, take some notes, and really see how God might be speaking through the seniors um, to you tonight. So to kick us off, I want to welcome up my good personal friend, Nate Chisholm, talking about being honest. What is up, guys? Thank you so much for being willing to listen to me. It's a, it's a real treat to be able to uh, share up here in front of you guys. I remember last year, my first year in Challenge, watching all the seniors talk and being like, man, these guys kind of have it all together. And after spending some time writing this, I realized, actually, I don't think they did, but they're figuring it out, and we're all figuring it out together. So like Romano said, my name's Nate. Um, I'm in my last semester studying electrical engineering, um, and I'm going to share some thoughts with you tonight about honesty um, and fishing. I was fishing with my dad and my brother this summer, um, and off the top of my head, I really can't remember how many fish we caught or what size they all were, but I do remember that I probably caught the biggest fish, and I mean, it was like, you know, that big. And maybe my brother would tell you, you know, he was the one who actually caught the bigger fish. And either way, there were a lot of fish and they were all keepers. And maybe you've talked to a fisherman like this before or recently scrolled through Instagram, gone to tell a story or thought about how you're going to explain why you were late to a meeting. And maybe you're just rolling your eyes at stupid fishing stories and how they're usually all lies. And if you have, then you've encountered dishonesty. And honestly, life all around us is full of this same dishonesty. The lies we hear, tell ourselves, um, and tell others are regularly making their ways in and out of our minds. And if you spend enough time around people, you find out that it's not just you. Everyone experiences and contributes to this dishonest world that we live in. But in the midst of our dishonest world, and running over all us little dishonest people living in it, is a truthful God. A God who the Bible says is the true God, and the way, the truth, and the life. And not only is God truthful, but he calls us to live truthful lives. But why? We're pretty good at avoiding the truth, and it's pretty easy to do so. If I don't tell my friends what's really going on, then they won't see me as a burden. If I don't let my roommates know about my sin, then I can kind of just keep living in it without accountability. But there lies our problem, and our problem is lies. We tend to believe that placing a difficult truth out of sight allows us to continue in an unhampered and healthy life. But in reality, Concealed truth only grows, overtakes, and destroys, like an unattended disease. And I've only seen this firsthand in my own life. Whether I tried holding in a string of bad decisions I made in high school, or a broken relationship with a family member, or years of just trying to cope with everything I had bottled up by turning to pornography and belittling others through humor. I tried it, and I kept trying it, and it really just didn't work. But God was really gracious to me, and through his Holy Spirit began to set upon my heart how I could begin to let him into my life. 
um, and let other people in to heal from those very things that, you know, I used to try to hide. It was there that I found that honesty with God, with yourself, and with others leads to a life of obedience, peace, and freedom. So how do we get started with being honest? Like all good things, honesty starts with God. Psalm 139, 1 through 4 reads, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God isn't going to be surprised when you start to get honest with him. And in fact, he's been waiting for you to let him in. He wants us to pray to him in honesty and ask him the things that he would reveal in our lives that we should change. Later in Psalm 139, you read David cry out, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When God begins to answer this prayer and reveal things in your life, and he will, trust him. Listen and respond obediently. The next step is to start getting honest with yourself. When God reveals these things, don't just hold them up to your own worldly wisdom. We like to tell ourselves that we're just good enough at being diligent students, caring friends, or following God. But when we get comfortable with this rationalized, diluted thinking, we never see any change. We continue to settle for good-ish instead of actually becoming disciplined students, supportive friends to those around us, and true disciples of Jesus. I learned a helpful phrase this year, and it often comes to mind when I start to fall in this subjective judgment. When we rationalize our thoughts, we're telling ourselves exactly that, rational lies. Instead of testing your thoughts with your desires and what seems to make sense on a given day, hold your thinking up to God's word. Pastor Andy Stanley gives the following challenge when it comes to this idea. Decide for yourself that I won't lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. We tend to be our own biggest obstacles to living an open and honest life, which is why it's necessary to be honest with others. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks out his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Take the time to think about which people in your life you can trust, are following Jesus, and are able to help you. And if you can't think of anyone like this, you might need some new friends. Life groups are a great place to find peers to walk with, and staff members and older church members can provide wisdom from years of faithfully following Jesus. When you get in front of these individuals, don't just settle for casual conversation or shallow pleasantries. Ask them how they're really doing and begin to share the same. Initiate vulnerability by sharing things that you're going through. You should share sins in your life and also difficult circumstances you're facing. But don't forget to share things that you're hopeful for and excited about too. Walking through life with each other means going through highs and lows together. Scripture emphasizes sharing with others for more than just accountability. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We don't confess to friends and mentors in order to receive forgiveness. Jesus has already paid the price for our sin on the cross, and by trusting in his resurrection, we receive God's gracious pardon. Rather, we confess that we may be healed. I've experienced firsthand this semester both healing from being prayed over after confessing sin I'd been carrying around for years and have prayed over friends who were healed through this very practice of confession that the Bible describes. Guys, God is alive and working today, here and now. He's inviting each and every one of us to live an honest life with him. And all we have to do is just answer his call. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you guys weary of being burdened and burdened by your weariness? Come to Jesus with an open and honest heart. He's given me true rest for my soul, and he will delight in doing the same for you too. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Nate. Now let's welcome up Isaiah Wilkes talking about getting started in your ministry. <laughs> All right. They gave me the mic. It's now, now it's my chance. All right, y'all. My name is Isaiah, as he uh, just said. And I'm going to be talking about the importance of finding and getting started with your ministry. So I kind of want to get like a little bit interactive with this one. So every time I say your, you say ministry, okay? So your, your, can you like a little bit louder? Like your, okay, that was good. That was good. That was good. Okay. So first, what does the Bible say about your? Perfect. Okay. So Romans 12, 6 through 8, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, Hebrews 12, 11. I'm not going to read them all because I don't have a lot of time. So basically paraphrasing, 1 Peter and Romans tell us that we have been all given specific spiritual gifts to perpetuate God's kingdom here on earth. And Hebrews tells us that First, we've got to go through some growing pains to, you know, get through the discipline of, uh, and then find the fruits of our efforts, you know. So that's what God says. So now I'm going to give you an example from my life to show you why ministry is important. So now for the few of you who have the challenge group me unmuted, you might know about a little thing called fi Friday football, which you might guess from the name is pick up soccer on Fridays. Um, now, this isn't just a fun thing I do on Fridays. You know, I have a, a life outside of soccer. Um, but I, I do it, you know, religiously, pun intended, because I've given God that time for ministry. So how did Friday, come, football, uh, Friday football come to be? Good question, I'll tell you. So my junior year, like for many, was the hardest year I had academically, mentally, relationally. Um, Y'all, I was down bad. And, and that's an understatement. You know, I, I needed a rejuvenation that could only come from God. And you know, but I couldn't find rest in God because he was still a stranger to me in some capacity. You know, I hadn't experienced God in my personal life yet, and I needed to, you know, and, but to do that, to experience God personally, I needed to see his work personally, you know, and, and what I learned is that to do that, like, I had to give him my personal time and energy, you know, like, if you don't give God anything to work with, he's not going to work with you, like, I'm just saying, you know, and, and that's how Friday football came to be. You know, like I had, I was like in my dorm room one day and I had, I had a soccer ball from a friend and I had some unaccounted for time on a Friday and I was like, God, I don't even know what to do with this. Like, but he was like, I got an idea. And I was like, what? And he was like, you play soccer and I'll show up. And I was like, okay, bet, you know? And, and then he was like, bet. And so then that's how I started. And like starting Friday football was tough. You know, like just like Hebrews 12, 11 says, it's, it was hard to keep up. I, I never really played soccer before then. And I, I, had to learn how to organize a quickly growing community, which came with a lot of, you know, conflict de-escalation skills, patience, and unpopular forgiveness, you know. But by allowing God to use me through something as abstract as soccer, you know, with, with discipline and, and reliance on him, I've gotten to witness, like, legitimate miracles, you know, through soccer. Like, what? And I'm not talking about crazy goals, you know. I'm talking about, like, skill moves, you know, stuff like that. But I'm talking about bringing people to church who have never wanted to go to church before, you know, because I play soccer with them. Or, you know, I, I'm meeting up with a guy and going through John, you know, who was on the edge of disregarding his, you know, faith because of his, some misconceptions that came from his upbringing. You know, he said I caught him, like, right in time, you know, just because I 
play soccer with him on Friday. You know, we're working through John right now. You know, and, and not to mention all the small times I've been able to talk about or show a glimpse of God's love, like, you know, to people who want nothing to do with church or Christian groups. You know, I say, like, I'm part of Challenge. I go to church. They're like, okay, whatever. You know, I'm like, mm. But, you know, by being nice and showing love, being intentional, they get to see it. They may, even though they may not know it, you know, they're, they're seeing it. And God has personally and uniquely revealed himself to me through these interactions, you know, because I have set aside my personal time and used my unique gifts for it, you know. So if you haven't gotten it by this point, um, here's why it's important to recognize and have your ministry. I'll give you three reasons besides just because God said so, like I said in the beginning. So for him and his kingdom, for other people and for yourself. Now, Ephesians 2.10 says, God has specifically, okay, I'm paraphrasing. God has specifically crafted you for good works. He personally prepared ahead of time for you. So I don't, know, I don't know about you guys, but I think that if the creator of the universe prepared specific jobs for you to do ahead of time before your life, it doesn't really sound like a waste of time, you know, thus making your important, you know? So, okay, now for them, Ecclesiastes 3.1 says there's an, an appointed time for everything, meaning you are strategically placed in every sphere you occupy. So in context with these verses, that reason is God's purposes. And so like, you may not be the direct discipler of your club mates or your classmates or your coworkers, and you might not see how God directly uses you to soften their hearts, but God can and will use your love and intentionality toward them to plant a seed that will grow for later if you let him. You know, finally, for you, like I said before, when you give the unique gifts and personal time you have to God, you get a uniquely intimate relationship with God in return. You know, you get direct accounts of God's faithfulness and, tra and a track record of God's provision that deeply strengthens faith. And so how do you get started with this? You know, like mine was a pretty weird story, but like first call God, you know, ask him to give you his eyes for your, to see life and its ministry opportunities more clearly. Second, think about where you are, you know, what you're good at, you know, what you're bad at, past pains that you've learned from, whom you can reach, and what you can use, and set aside a, set aside a time in your schedule that you will use in, for intentional ministry. You know, and if you can't set aside a specific time, like Friday at 5, then integrate it somewhere. You're like, you need to get in your, you know, schedule somewhere. And mentors and peers can help you out with this, like pointing out, like, what you're good at, what you're bad at. And the last thing is an homage to Friday football is a, a little um, acronym called TGIF, Trial, Goof, Improve, Follow Through. When you fail, think of how to improve, TGI, and follow through and keep trying, you know? It took a year and a half of playing soccer with people, you know, for someone's heart to be softened enough for me to open up the Bible with them, you know? And if God can use a combination like me and soccer for ministry, then you and God can come up with some pretty creative ideas for your All right, thank you. That's all I got. Thank you, Isaiah. Now let's welcome up Horeb Camillo to talk about building relationships. I don't know how I'm going to follow that one up, but <laughs> thanks, Isaiah. <laughs> okay, so today I wanted to talk a little bit about um, what it looks like to have healthy friendships, um, and to paint a picture of what my life looked like prior to college. Um, the friendships that I had looked nothing like the ones that I have today. Um, they were marked by gossiping about other people's lives. Uh, they were selfish or surface level friendships that 
um, or we didn't really invite one another in into what was really going on. And if there was conflict, that was it. There was no resolution. So the summer before my freshman year, I prayed that God would provide Christian friendships um, in my time at USC. And in the past four years, he's been really um, gracious to provide those and to gift me people who um, really know him and love him and have helped me do the same. Proverbs 27.17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I can stand before you and tell you that my walk with God would look nothing like the way that it does if it were not for friendships that drew me closer to himself and really challenged me to reflect his character. So tonight I want to walk through some of the things that I've learned as I've walked through intentional friendships in the past four years um, as they've steered me in the direction of really loving God and other people well. The first thing I want to say um, is that people can only help you as much as you let them in. And so um, in scripture, God tells us that we were created to bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6.2. And when you open the door or when you open up your life to people walking with God, with discretion, of course, um, you open up the door for him to really work in your heart through his people. My journey began um, my freshman year when a dear friend of mine really invited me into some hard things that were going on in her life. And I felt safe doing the same because she had opened up that door. It's been a work in progress to let people into my life, the good, the bad, the really ugly. Um, but more times than I can count, I can tell you that in seasons where I didn't really see what God was doing in my life, I felt held by him um, through his people. I've also really been challenged to surrender areas of my life that were not pleasing to him. And so inviting people in um, has really allowed me to experience the freedom that comes from being fully known and fully loved by your community. The second point I'll make um, is the importance of leaving margin in your schedule. Raise your hand if you're type A. <laughs> okay, I see some hands. Um, but Google calendars are usually a little bit more crammed than they should be. And it's highly unlikely that you'll be able to schedule yours, let alone your friend's mental breakdowns. Um, so <laughs> um, when life goes south, there's not much time to pull out your calendar and decide if you have a moment to cry or not. Um, and especially if you're a girl, a lot of your building blocks in friendships will come from those impromptu conversations where you probably are cramming for a midterm or um, procrastinated on that essay that's due tomorrow, or you're just really tired from the day, but your friend is going through something really hard. And I've been on both the giving and the receiving end of that, and I can tell you that A, the moments where I've really taken a pause to um, be with those friends, it's been a real gift in getting to know them better. And B, on the other side of that, there's nothing more comforting than receiving a hug, some prayers, some words of encouragement, and even some laughter when it's midnight and you're spiraling. And I'm internally grateful for past and current roommates who have done this more times than I yeah. Also, leave some room for the impromptu dance party, belting Morgan Wallen at the top of your lungs, or melting frozen sour cream in a pot. You can ask me about that later, but those moments are special too. Um, and lastly, the point that I want to make um, is that you will be hurt and you will hurt people too. Accepting that you and your friends are imperfect, broken sinners who will do or say things that um, will hurt one another is a key part in all of this. You can't have many meaningful friendships without having to overcome conflict. But when you see Jesus in his right place, that he alone is the um, one who can love you perfectly and never hurt you, 
then he can continue in pursuing those deep and meaningful friendships that we were created to pursue. Just like family, the people closest to you will see some really ugly parts of your life and vice versa. A couple of weeks ago, a really close friend and I walked through some really difficult conversations where we both hurt each other in different ways. Um, but what was really special about that situation is that the next day we sought to hear each other out, we um, acknowledged our roles in those conversations, and we asked for forgiveness for specific things. And to my comfort, a couple of days later as I was reading Find Your People by Jenny Allen, she expressed, I've never truly had an intimate friendship that was free of conflict. So I picture you fighting, stepping away for a moment, and I picture you coming back to the table and back to each other. So you and I can choose to come back to each other, humbly ask for forgiveness, and choose to forgive one another because it's what Jesus has done with us, and we are called to forgive just as he has forgiven us. If you look around, this room is full of people that you can um, seek healthy and intentional friendships with. And so I would just invite you to pray um, about who God might have in mind for you and what those next steps might be. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Horeb. So now we're going to welcome up Janae. Janae, coming up, you're just going to be talking about <laughs> enduring hardships by leaning into both God and people. So. Thank you. Okay, hello, everyone. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name is Janae. Uh, and tonight, as Romano said, I'd like to share two things that have helped me endure hardships uh, during my time in college, and that is choosing to lean into the Lord and lean into people. John 16:33 says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. At the end of last semester, I was in the lab that I volunteer at when I got a text from my dad to my family saying that we should call my grandpa who lived on the East Coast that day as his health and cognitive functioning was declining significantly and it might be the last time we'd be able to have a conversation with him. My heart sank receiving the message and I was filled with so many emotions. While we were facing the fact that he was likely going to pass soon, we were also facing the difficult reality that he was not a believer. Shortly after receiving my dad's text, I texted my roommates and asked them to pray for my grandpa's salvation and our family. I called my roommate Gabby and cried as I updated her on the situation and she prayed with me. Later, she and a few of my other roommates showed up to the lab during my shift to give me a hug, pray with me, and bring me some food. They bore this burden with me and it made such a difference that I didn't have to suffer alone or in silence. While I was deeply sad about the situation with my grandpa, I was also experiencing such deep connection, support, and love from my dear friends. My grandpa ended up living a few more days and I had a really sweet last FaceTime call with him. By a miracle, my grandpa, who had heard and been resistant to the gospel for many years, ended up accepting Jesus before he passed away. I don't have time to tell the whole story now, but I'd be happy to share it with you at a later time if you're interested. And I got to share that incredible news of my grandpa's salvation with my life group and my roommates. Because they had been invited in during the journey of suffering, they also got to celebrate in that amazing victory. 
My roommates continued to be instrumental in supporting me while I flew out for my grandpa's memorial. They wrote me a card before I left, which I read while I was traveling and still carry in my backpack. Many people texted me the day of his service that they were thinking of and praying for me and my family. I'm not just telling you this to tell you that I have amazing friends and roommates, which I do, but <laughs> I hope you see God's grace and goodness through his people and his presence in the midst of really hard things. I want to share four things that have been really helpful for me in enduring hardships like this. Number one, press into the Lord. Suffering is a gateway, an invitation for intimacy with him. The Lord cares deeply about what you're going through and desires to walk with you through it. Even if you're frustrated and confused, cry out to God in honest prayer. Pray that God would sustain you through the trial. Ask him to teach you what he might want you to learn through this and ask him to use the trial to deepen your relationship with him and bring glory to his name. Number two, as Horeb said, let people in. People can only support you to the degree that you let them in. Be honest with people about how you're really doing and feeling, and it's okay if you don't have everything figured out yet. I'm not saying to tell everyone everything, but if you have safe people in your life, challenge yourself to go deep with them. And if you don't have those people, this is a great place to start intentionally building friendships. Pray that God would bring those friends into your life. I wanna acknowledge that some things are harder to share than others. Maybe you or a family member is struggling with mental illness or an addiction. Maybe you're having a lot of doubts about your faith. Maybe your family situation is falling apart and looks nothing like you thought it would. I wanna encourage you to share even these things. They may be really hard conversations, but it's so worth it to let safe people in. Number three, choose to worship even when you don't feel like it. This is one I'm definitely still working on. The Lord has used worship to change my heart and remind me of the consistency of his character when my circumstances tempt me to believe that he's against me or has forsaken me. While I may not understand, making the active choice to trust that God has a purpose in trials for my good and his glory brings so much peace. And number four, be there for others. There's a saying that if you're not currently going through a trial, you probably just exited one or are about to enter one. There are endless opportunities to encourage and support the people God's placed in your life. Be persistent in praying for, encouraging, and loving people who are enduring hardship. Even if you're going through something hard yourself, you can still offer comfort and encouragement to others too. I like to finish with a few verses from Revelation 21 that I had the opportunity to read on my grandpa's memorial service. Verses three and four say, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. While college and life beyond is sure to bring hard things, this is the hope of heaven that we as believers have to look forward to. Remember that you are not alone in your trials. The Lord is near and there is a family of believers here that wants to walk alongside you too. Thank you so much, Janae. Now let's please welcome up Caleb Cruzado speaking about contentment versus complacency. 
All right, y'all. Uh, if it's okay, I wanted to start with a prayer. So let's, let's pray together. Uh, God, uh, thank you for, for challenge, God, for these amazing people who have been sharing so far and what you've been doing in each one of our lives, God. Would Now, God, would you just get me out of the way? Would uh, your word be uh, spoken, God, and would uh, we come away with application, God? We thank you for who you are. Amen. All right, y'all. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Caleb. I am a senior studying film and TV production. Some of you guys might know me as the other Filipino guitarist on the worship team. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, John Cabinet saw me writing that and he laughed, so I knew it'd be funny. John, like, he's, he's that guy. Um, as some of you know, I'm from San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, I got slides, it's gonna be long, I'm sorry. Um, depending on the area, it can definitely feel small, or at least a lot smaller than LA. There's about like a million people, which is still, like, it's not, it's not LA. Uh, my school was tiny, there's only, well, next slide. That is my graduating class, there's 10 people. And there's only 130 people in the entire kindergarten through 12th grade school, so. Being this is where I spent like about 95% uh, of my time, you can say my life was pretty contained. Everyone knew everyone, and for some that might be limiting, but I really enjoyed it, I loved it. I had a very concrete routine that I was used to in San Antonio. Every weekday I'd wake up and drive my sister to school, I'd do classes, I'd go to football practice and do homework and, and play video games until like ungodly hours of the night and then fit in some sleep if I can, but it was horrible. And it wasn't stretching, honestly, it, especially not when it came to my own walk with God, uh, but it was very comfortable. And that's what I liked. Uh, going into senior year of high school, I actually didn't want to leave San Antonio. I, part of me imagined that my whole life would play out there, not that I'd be a student forever, but that I'd settle into a routine after high school that was like nearby or something like that. Uh, but then God opened the door to USC, and it was the last thing I expected, getting plugged into community and being surrounded by people who were willing to push me and hold me accountable for growth. I started seeing what, was, what it was like to intentionally pursue Jesus daily. It wasn't just going to church or singing a few worship songs or dropping a Bible verse in my Instagram bio and calling it a day. Uh, no, it was a lot more than just that. And uh, within the first year of being in Challenge, I, I saw what it was like to do those things. And it was so, so uncomfortable. Uh, before Challenge, in my case, it wasn't that I didn't know who Jesus was. I had grown up in church, and I was raised by a Christian family. And it wasn't that I didn't belong to him either, but it was that I, be I had become complacent in my walk. So... Uh, moving on to some verses, James 1, 24 says, But be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. Proverbs 1, 33 says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Ephesians 4, 1-2 I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul speaking, urge you to work, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8 says, for this very reason, I make, effort, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue knowledge, and knowledge of self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So for me, before USC, spiritual growth, getting to know who Jesus was more deeply and more richly than ever before, that was the number one priority in my life. I found out very quickly that I had to actively choose against complacency. Honestly, what that looked like for me was my own desires to stay in my comfort zone, uh, to really experience the growth that God wanted for me. Over time, I grew, also after applying these things uh, within like, I don't know, like over like the first year, I grew very tired of being uncomfortable. Uh, it quickly became exhausting to keep those habits up. And part of me was under the impression that walking with God was like an easy thing that it didn't require much effort. It, it came naturally, but that cannot be further from the truth. Uh, so what did I do about it? Uh, when I got tired of being uncomfortable, I just reverted to my old comfortable habits. I skipped quiet times, I overlooked verse memory. 
I prioritized other portions of my life over my relationship with God. And that was especially difficult during the pandemic as well. Uh, truly, this wasn't a solution. Uh, giving up on those habits is uh, exactly what impedes growth. So the question is, what does God offer the uncomfortable Christian? So let's see what scripture says in that sense. Uh, Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Matthew 11, 28 through 29 says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Nate said that one earlier. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, uh, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And 2 Chronicles 15, 15, and all Judah rejoiced over the oath for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their whole desire and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. So the answer, the solution to a life outside of your comfort zone is a God who provides everything that you need. Not only does he supply our needs, but he knows exactly what they are. In fact, he's experienced many of them firsthand, uh, coming down as a, a newborn baby, not as a 33-year-old man, but living an entire life of hardship and pain just so he can relate to us. Uh, he's not indifferent to our exhaustion, our weariness, or our pain, uh, but he offers rest unlike any other, and I'm not going to talk all about that. That's the person right after me. Um, but lastly, uh, also know that there's nothing our God can't do. Um, he rewards those who diligently seek him and his kingdom. So final takeaways. Uh, number one, uh, God wants more for you than the bare minimum for the Christian life. Choose to live outside of your comfort zone. Romans 10 and Ephesians 2 make it very clear that if you place your hope in Jesus' death and resurrection, then you're saved and your sins have been forgiven. But the life of the Christian, the one who hungers and thirsts for Jesus, will choose to put those words into action and pursuing him intently with every aspect of their life. This is how we make ourselves available to God uh, and to be used and grown by him. And number two, pursuing God isn't easy, yet he provides exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. So trust in his provision. Our relationship with God works on a need-to-know basis, and he's the all-knowing one, not us. That means he knows what we need, when we need it. He also knows what we don't need. So take him at his word on those things. Uh, number three, part of clinging to Christ is also clinging to his people. Uh, make Christian community a priority. I love what Horb said about how important these relationships are. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24, 25, and Colossians 3, 16, I don't have them up there, but those are very important verses about how important community is to us and what it looks like to really put those things into action. Truthfully, the minute we disconnect ourselves from community, is, as, as it becomes so much more difficult to put those things into action. So last thing I wanted to do uh, is pray again. Uh, in Colossians 1, Paul talks about uh, a prayer for the church uh, in Colossae uh, for spiritual growth. So that's what I want to do first now. God, uh, you reign high and mighty over all things. God, as, as Paul put it, we humbly ask that you fill us with all knowledge of your will, your spiritual wisdom and understanding, and we'd walk in a manner worthy of you, that our lives would be fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit and increasing in our knowledge of who you are. God, would you strengthen us with your power according to your might, that we would be enduring God patiently the rest of this life on earth and give your name the glory the whole way through. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Caleb, so much. And now last but not least, please welcome up John Grayson speaking about rest. Thank you, sir. And before I get started, let's give a round of applause for all the seniors who have spoken thus far. We have some wise seniors, don't we? So, anywho, I, I think it a funny twist of fate that... Um, it is I before you all speaking about rest, as, um, 
This is, um, this, <laughs> this is something that I have long experience with, a uh, love-hate relationship with, and it's definitely something I've needed to clear up over the years. And so um, just to give you a little bit of a, a background, I used to be able to go a long time without rest, and it was something I was proud of, something that I could pull an all-nighter and no one would even notice. And um, I just really think it all came to a head last summer when I was working at Hume. And I love the ministry of Hume. I've loved working there. The job is incredible. But I will say that I definitely signed up for more than I could handle. And I did late nights, long days, and I eventually burned out. I was not content um, with anything less than perfection. And because of that, I really um, had my work equivalent to my worth. And so I want to speak to you guys today about you know, the idea and the concept of rest, and not just from a head knowledge perspective, but really from the ability of having experienced it with and without. So just to kind of open things up, you know, scientists have done research. Resting allows us to have better concentration, a better immune system, reduced stress, better mood, a better metabolism. No surprise there, am I right? Funny enough, God was way ahead of all of these researchers by several thousand years. For he said in Psalm 127, verse two, it is in vain that you rise early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I'm not gonna lie. Um, why do we resist rest? Raise your hands if you've ever thought any of these things before. I feel guilty when work isn't getting done when I rest, right? I've become discontent with maintaining output and not increasing it. I can go a long time without rest. I'll catch up on sleep this weekend, right? I believe that good enough is not really good enough. And finally, I feel like I need to earn rest. That's definitely something that I have felt on numerous occasions, but none of these are true. To us, they sound pretty believable though. So why do we resist, really? Ultimately, it comes down to the fear of man versus the fear of God. We fear the wrong entity. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. So it raises the question, who are you trying to please? Galatians 1:10 speaks directly to this. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We see elsewhere in scripture, Psalm 62, where our soul finds rest in God. In Psalm 4, 8, we can sleep with peace. And so ultimately, God sets the example. Um, he doesn't need the rest, but as you see in Genesis, he created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, right? As a model for us. And this really proves the point that rest and work were created before the fall. So what that means is we know they aren't a product of sin and therefore can coexist. So how do we do it then? I'll speak to both rest and to work. Speaking to rest, schedule Sabbath. Share how that looks for me. Oh, um, I really, that was something that I started to do as of this year. Coming out of the summer, coming out of Hume, um, I was talking with Jeremy and he really encouraged the idea of resting. And so the way that it looks for me is I do two sessions every week, three hours on Monday, three hours on Thursday. Often in the morning, that can look like extended quiet time, extended prayer, reading through a book, or just really inviting God into the morning. And now I will say, 
There is a difference between junk rest and soul rest. I love that term. Stephen coined that. I don't know if he did, but it was at Humington Beach this year, and I loved his micro-seminar on the idea. Netflix is junk rest and doesn't count. There are so many other ways that we can get soul rest, getting time in word, getting time in scripture, that really changes the game. You know, and even as I think about rest and think about Sabbath, the very first Sabbaths were a trust exercise. You know, for an agrarian society, they needed every day to gather food. Um, while I have food in my fridge every morning, or usually most mornings, um, Sabbath is still a trust exercise, but it's no longer with the resource of food, but much more with the resource of time. If I can trust that time with God, then I am already one step closer to being able to surrender more of my life to him. Now for work. Know your capacity. God will give people different capacities, so it's unwise to base your benchmark off of someone else's. God will always give you the strength that you need to do exactly what he calls you to do, but not necessarily to do what you want to. So then how do we discern what our capacity is, right? Get to know God and the things that he has called you to do. And if you have a tendency to overcommit and overextend, you might get in trouble by taking on things that you want to do, but not what God wants you to do. In these situations, you operate out of your own power. If you're more hesitant and prefer to stay in your comfort zone, I say this to you. Comfort does not equal capacity. Yes, you must have rhythms of rest, but there are times when we are tired, but not too tired. Ultimately, don't do things that God hasn't put on your plate, nor avoid um, the things that he has. Don't equate personal preference with God's will. Pray for clarity in that area. Counsel also really helps with this. If I could offer any word of encouragement, it would be to invite people in. Some of our seniors have even mentioned that tonight already. Keep them up to date. Seek wise counsel. They can see us often far better than we can see ourselves sometimes. These people can tell us when to push through and ultimately when to stop as well. You know, it's like they say, you can either burn out or you can rust out, right? I would like to posit to you all that there is a third option in this case. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. Instead, live it out. And with that, I want to say thank you. And I'll invite Romano back up again. Can we give one more big round of applause for our seniors? It's so, it's so amazing to see. And some of us got to know them as freshmen. And to see the growth to now is just unbelievable. <laughs> We're so proud of them. So, let us bow our heads um, and come to God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you've done in these seniors' lives, each and every one of them. God, they have walked with you faithfully in their four years of college where there is so much pressure and so much temptation to just run the other way. Thank you so much that you have kept them close in your arms. And God, I pray for them as they are launched out into the real world. Would this not be these four years of Christian challenge, just a nice memory to look back on, but instead a launching point for the rest of their lives that they would continue to walk with you and make waves in your kingdom. We pray as well for the younger students here tonight that they would learn digest and apply all that they've heard here tonight for the rest of their time here at USC as well. Pray us in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.